This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. I it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. A quick reminder, we have upcoming shows in New York on June 18th and London on June 25th. StoryCollider.org for more information. This week's story is from Seth Mnookin. The story was recorded in June 2013 at Johnny D's in Somerville, Massachusetts. The theme of the night was The Science I Never Expected. In 2007, my wife and I moved from where we were living in Manhattan um, to a home in Brooklyn. And almost immediately, we found ourselves being invited to dinner parties. So our social engagements were no longer taking place in bars where we had to shout to be heard. Uh, But now we were sitting around tables having civilized conversations with other married couples um, and young parents. And we both noticed that there was one topic which kept coming up again and again and again. And that was the question of the safety and efficacy of vaccines. Now, at the time, uh, my wife and I were not expectant parents. Um, When I was writing this out, I initially wrote prospective parents, and I realized that actually we were prospective parents. We just weren't yet expectant parents. Uh, But I found myself drawn into these conversations more and more and more. And I realized that one of the things that I found to be so interesting about them was that when I asked my friends how it was that they were making these decisions, which really are some of the most fundamental decisions that they're going to make facing their children's health, the answers that I got were not, well we talked to our children's doctor, or we read some of the literature, or even uh, we looked up information online. It was along the lines of, well, it feels to me like kids these days are getting too many vaccines too soon. Or I didn't need the chicken pox vaccine when I was growing up, so why is it that my child needs one? Or Surely, all of the toxins in these vaccines can't be safe for developing immune systems. And there was one conversation in particular um, that really stuck in my craw. Uh, it's possible that this was because it was at a breakfast and I was suffering some from severe low blood sugar. Um, but I was talking with a with a young dad who was telling me that he and his wife had decided not to give their daughter the three-in-one measles, mumps, rubella vaccine. Um, And I kept 
pushing him and pushing him and saying, well, aren't you, aren't you worried about this? Don't you know um, that mumps can cause sterility? Uh, aren't you worried about what would happen to, to a child that young if, if, she, got, if she got the measles? Um, and had my wife not been there to gracefully extract me from the conversation, it's very possible that we never would have found ourselves invited to another breakfast again. So a couple of hours later, um, engorged on lox and noodle kugel, uh, back at our house, um, I started thinking about why it was that these questions were fixate, where I was becoming fixated on these questions. And I realized that the answer was because they got to this really fundamental issue of how it is that we, both as individuals and as a society, decide what counts as truth. So when do we decide that we're going to go with what experts tell us? Um, when do we decide that we're going to go with our gut or with our intuition? And so it was those questions that started me working on what then became my next book. Um, initially, my plan was to write a magazine piece about the topic. Um, and after three or four months of being completely unable to interest any magazine publishers, uh, I put together a book proposal and had no problem at all selling that, which tells you something about why the publishing industry might be in some trouble. Because <laughs> the fact that I couldn't convince a single person to pay me to write 3,000 words about this, but had no problem finding someone to pay me to write 100,000 words on it, um, uh, was an interesting situation to, to find myself in. Um, so you might think that someone who's working on this issue, and, and especially who's interested in the question of how we decide what counts as truth, would start out a project like this by figuring out what the truth was. Were vaccines, in fact, safe? Um, or were they, as some of my friends were telling me, responsible for the rise in uh, what I quickly learned was, was called the four A's, um, asthma, allergies, autism, and ADHD, uh, all of which are seemingly on the rise. Um, but I don't like doing research, and I do like talking to people. So <laughs> instead, I spent roughly the first year uh, of my work on this, just doing shoe leather reporting. Um, I made the mistake recently of, of referring to what I was doing as um, boots on the ground reporting, and it turned out that the person who I was talking to had just come back from a deployment in Afghanistan. And he said very politely, um, what you were doing was not actually boots on the ground. <laughs> and I did not try and convince him that some of these interviews were actually quite hostile. Um, so I spent about a year just talking to people. Uh, I talked to families like the Romagueras who live right outside of New Orleans um, and whose infant daughter was infected with pertussis before she was old enough to have gotten the first dose of the diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis vaccine. Um, she eventually ballooned up to several times her size because her body couldn't expel liquid uh, and died. Um, and at the time she died, she was still too young to have gotten the first dose of the pertussis vaccine. Um, I talked to parents like Lynn Redwood, um, who has an autistic son and who spent years researching this issue and became 
totally convinced that autism was, in fact, um, as she put it, a novel form of mercury poisoning. Um, and she has organized a, a, an activist movement around this, uh, originally called the, the Mercury Moms. Um, I talked to pediatricians and public health officials. I talked to immunologists and vaccinologists. And I also spent a lot of time at conferences. Um, one conference in particular sticks out in my mind, and that's uh, a conference called Autism One in Chicago. And the reason why it sticks out in my mind is because its organizers were insistent that this was not a conference that was focused on vaccines. And yet when I looked at the program, virtually every single thing on the agenda had to do with the dangers and evils of vaccines. Um, that was one of the conferences where I learned how the pediatricians practicing in this country should be preparing themselves for the upcoming Nuremberg-type trials that will occur uh, when they're brought to, uh, brought to justice for what they've been inflicting on children. Um, I also learned about the range of other disorders that, that vaccines cause. Um, and by this point in my, in my research, I still hadn't done the scientific reading, but I was fairly certain that some of the more extreme things that were being said at these conferences weren't true. But what I also found interesting was that when I had conversations with the parents at these conferences, what they were saying totally made sense. Um, because what they were doing was telling me stories about their lives that they were putting together in a way that was totally logical. So they were telling me what happened to their children, um, what their children had been like before they were vaccinated, and then what happened immediately afterwards. Um, and a lot of these parents I came to really like and, and actually respect. Um, now, after that year, I spent another year actually just reading the scientific literature. I had not planned on spending a year reading the scientific literature. I had thought that that would be two or three months at most, um, but three months became six months, and that became nine months, uh, and that became a year. Um, and by the end of that year, I felt that I could conclusively say that there is not a causal connection between vaccines and autism, which was what I was focusing on, but that in fact also most of the fears and concerns and anxieties about vaccines are incredibly overblown. But that didn't answer the question that I had really started out with, which was the question of how do we decide what counts as truth? And I realized that for so many of these parents, what was going on was they were facing a situation that at its core just didn't make sense. Um, they were facing a situation where they had a child that they expected and hoped and thought um, would be a perfect child. And then all of a sudden at an appointment one day, they were told something different. And oftentimes, in that appointment, they were told, I'm sorry, I think that your child has this diagnosis. I'm not a specialist in that area, so I can no longer treat you. And depending on where they were in the country, there may or may not have been a specialist within 50, 100, 200 miles who could treat them. So they were putting together stories that explained these chaotic and unknowable things in their lives. Now, my book came out in 2011, um, and at that point, the parents that I knew who were convinced that their children had been injured by vaccines uh, stopped talking to me. Um, 
But all of a sudden, the people in the public health and medical communities who had been slightly wary of me at times um, uh, came to sort of embrace me. And I found myself invited to a lot of their conferences. Um, and at first, this was very flattering. Here were people who uh, I respected in many cases, um, who held important positions, who wanted to hear what I had to say. But before very long, I actually came to resent these invitations. And the ones I resented the most were the ones that came from public health officials and, um, uh, and, and, and medical communities that were focused on the issue of vaccine hesitancy. So these were one, two, three-day conferences where they would assemble 20 or 30 experts together. And they would get them in a room and say, well, why do you think there's a rise in vaccine hesitancy? And there would inevitably be a risk analyst who was there, someone who is an expert on social media. Um, depending on how the conference was organized, I would either be slotted into the parent role or the journalist role. And we would spitball whatever ideas we happen to have and then say, okay, that seems like a good one. I think the reason why there's a rise in vaccine hesitancy is because of a growing distrust of the medical establishment or frustration with managed care or a dislike of experts in general or an anti-intellectual strain that's running through society. And I realized that what bugged me so much was that here were a group of people who were trained to find data, to, to collect data, and find their answers that way, who were essentially just telling each other stories. Some of them were good stories. Some of them might have been true stories. But we had no idea, and we weren't going to get the answers just sitting in a room. Last summer, I was invited to another one of these conferences. And for whatever reason, and I don't have Yom Kippur to blame on this, uh, I said no, but I didn't just say no. I said, if you wanted to do something that was actually worthwhile, you would put together a two or three day conference whose goal was to assemble a research agenda that could answer some of these questions. Um, it's very possible with social science research to do just that. And there was a pause. And then the organizer said, OK, why don't you do that? <clears throat> My response was, shit, <laughs> not what I was planning on doing with my time. Um, uh, but uh, after thinking about it for a little while, I decided to take them up on their offer. And that is how I find myself in the position now of putting together a conference that's going to be held this September um, in which me, someone without any advanced degrees, um, someone who spent virtually no time in labs when he was in college, is in the position of telling a bunch of people who have spent years, and in some cases decades, uh, doing bench research and getting their training, that if they wanted answers to these questions that they were asking, what they really should do is collect the data and find out where the science leads them. Thank you. That was Seth Manukin. Seth teaches in MIT's graduate program in science writing. His most recent book, The Panic Virus, the true story behind the vaccine autism controversy, was one of the Wall Street Journal's top five health and medicine books for 2011, and is a finalist for the Los Angeles Times Book Prize. 
He's also a contributing editor at Vanity Fair and blogs at the Public Library of Science. This event was produced as part of the Cambridge Science Festival 2013. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have archives of the podcast and upcoming events. Again, the next shows are June 18th in Manhattan and June 25th in London. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, and our Daniel Shapiro. The podcast is produced by Rose Avalith. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Johnny Dees for hosting the show, and to the Cambridge Science Festival for being a wonderful series of events, and to my intuitions and feelings for always being right. Thanks for listening.